Hey, what's going on, good people? It's Gardner Douglas, your oyster ninja. I'm here today with a special guest. You may know her on Instagram as Seaside with Emily, Miss Emily Isusa. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so excited to finally have the opportunity to be on the podcast. For sure. Um, all right. For the folks who don't know you on Instagram, um, you are a just a I don't even want to say crazy like that, but you are a um <laughs> intense um blogger, content content creator. Um, you know, you cover things on uh food, of course, sustainable food, um, travel, all that good stuff. Um, how the heck did you get into this whole sustainable world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely been an interesting journey, uh, not a linear path at all. Um, I actually like my content creation journey started in the travel blogging world. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I went to university, but I knew that I loved to travel. And so I started this little blog kind of as a way to relive my travel experiences and then ended up growing it into um, a part-time part content creation and influencer business. Um, but while I was doing that, I was also in university, of course, I was doing my undergrad in environmental policy and then went on to do my master's degree um, with a focus on fishery science. And that's sort of how I guess I landed where I am today. When I started my master's degree, I was thinking, you know, like there's such a disconnect between seafood and fishery science and so many things that, you know, the average person doesn't know that I felt like academia was sort of like, I don't know, just wasn't really translating quite well. And I thought, well, I know how to do this so well from my experience and, you know, digital marketing and social media and all the content creation stuff. And so I kind of started to slowly dip my toes into bringing the sustainable seafood stuff onto my social media channels and onto my blog. And then it really kind of got exacerbated when the pandemic happened because obviously nobody was traveling. And so all of my, I lost all my travel clients and I wasn't producing travel content anymore. And so I was like, well, you know what? Like I've kind of started to do the seafood thing. Let's just do it. You know, let's go really in with it and see what happens. And I was honestly surprised with how well people received it and how how much demand there was for more of this content and I think it really like I don't know it was really reassuring to me or not reassuring but it was really like comforting to know that like my hunch was right and that there is such a disconnect between fishery science and the average person and that I could you know be that person that liaison to sort of relay that information in a way that makes sense. Um, and I, yeah, that's definitely one of the main goals of what I do today is to try to make sustainable seafood in the world of fishery science and marine conservation, you know, less intimidating and more approachable to the average person. Dang, you're a pro. <laughs> you're a pro. That was a good, well thought, well explained answer. <laughs> I told you I've been I've been waiting to to hop on the podcast I told you I was like so excited to do this I like just sit at home behind my computer and so I've just been thinking about this all day like I finally get to talk to someone what am I gonna say <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that's great that's great all right let's let's talk about uh let's let's take a break with sustainable let's uh let's let's visit uh young Emily what was young Emily like? Uh, like, how was your upbringing and did it have anything, you know, did it, how did it influence you now? 
Yeah, the way that I was brought up, definitely. I mean, I think as I was creating my career and on my journey, I don't think I necessarily realized it as it was happening. Of course, I think, you know, a lot of people generally don't. But looking back, I realized like the way that I was raised really led me down the path where I am um, today. So my family is Portuguese. We're from the Azores Islands just off of Portugal. And so growing up, like I was surrounded by seafood my entire life. Like seafood was what we ate at family gatherings. Um, my, you know, my grandparents are very religious. And so like during, you know, certain holidays, we weren't eating meat. And so there was a lot of fish, um, you know, at Christmas, we would always have these like giant, like all you can eat, like shrimp buffets where everyone would just, you know, like at midnight, roll up their sleeves and just absolutely destroy, like as our family, like 10 pounds of fish. And so I always equated like seafood with religious holidays, with being together with my family, with being like a really just healthy and delicious thing to eat that was really part of my my identity. And then, yeah, I mean, I got into environmental policy. I got into environmental issues and obviously, you know, learned about some of the marine conservation topics that um, that are really prominent today, things like overfishing, ocean acidification, climate change, things like that. And I, I realized that seafood was obviously, you know, a critical component of the oceans. And so I really got interested in sort of figuring out, okay, how do we continue to, you know, sustain seafood the way that it, you know, the way that it's important to the cultural communities where me and my family come from, sustain those, those coastal livelihoods, but also protect the marine environment. And so I think, you know, if seafood hadn't been such a, such a large part of my upbringing, um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't quite know where I, where I necessarily would have ended up, but I've just always, you know, like I said, been really connected to seafood and I think always sort of felt called to the oceans. And I always like tie it back to those Island roots. Um, even though I was born in Canada, like my family comes from those islands and I've always just felt like this draw to the ocean. It led me to, to scuba dive and to want to surf and always, you know, traveling to coastal destinations. And so I think, you know, those familial roots, I think definitely led me down the path that I'm on today. Um, so I was looking at your Ted talk, uh, <laughs> insert applause. Uh, let's talk about your first experience, um, scuba diving and jumping into the water, mm -hmm. uh, talking about the, uh, like the reefs and things. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I think one of the, that it's very difficult, I think for a lot of people to like identify a moment in their career when, you know, everything changed or like, you know, what was the moment that led you down, you know, the path that you're on. And I think my first scuba dive for me, I can, I can very clearly pinpoint that as a turning point in my life. Um, that was also, you know, a major contributor to the path that I'm on right now. So I, yeah, I learned to scuba dive. I was probably about 17, 17 years old, maybe 18. Um, honestly, it took me so long because despite loving the oceans, I had a little bit of an irrational fear of scuba diving and, and being under the water. And uh, when I finally worked up the courage to go get certified, I, you know, it, it was really just shocking. I had this, I had this vision in my mind of what the ocean was supposed to look like. I, like I said, I was born in Canada growing up. I actually didn't really travel a lot as a child. You know, my parents were very young. We didn't always have disposable income to travel. And so I didn't really start traveling until after I learned how to scuba dive. So up until that point, I hadn't really, you know, had many experiences personally with the ocean. All I knew was, you know, what I'd seen in movies and in books. And I had this vision in my mind of, you know, beautiful coral reefs and schools of fish and 
you know, just all of these beautiful images of what you think the ocean is supposed to look like. And I went for my first scuba dive. It was, um, it was off the coast of Hawaii and it was a very different world, I guess, than what I had pictured. You know, I saw a lot of discarded plastic and waste and not as much life as I was hoping to have seen. Um, and I think it was really like an eye-opening moment for me when I realized firsthand, like, there are some serious issues going on in our oceans that need to be addressed. And I think it was also a really revealing moment for me to realize, like, if I didn't even know this and, you know, like I love the oceans and I watch all these movies and I read all these books and I didn't even know this, like, how is the, the average, you know, person living on the earth supposed to know this, who doesn't necessarily, you know, read ocean books or watch movies and doesn't scuba dive, like, how are they ever supposed to know about what's going on below the surface? And so that was really the moment where I realized, you know, something is, is going on in our oceans and we need to talk about it more because not enough people are talking about it clearly. Um, and that was, yeah, it was just one of, I guess, the, the moments in my life that sort of changed, changed everything for me. So, um, that was your aha moment for that, <laughs> but what was your, um, thoughts all right, I'll tell my experience. My experience was um, when I found out about the the how much plastics was in the ocean, and actually the the actual trash um, pit in the Pacific Ocean. I think it is. Mm-hmm. Like when you found out there was just a a, a, a mass of plastic in the ocean. What was your uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think I was pretty. I was pretty horrified, and I think honestly, I felt a little bit silly, like myself, like, I don't want to say stupid, but I kind of thought to myself, like, well, of course, like, 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 it was kind of like, I was talking to myself and I was like, well, of course, like, where did you think all of this plastic was going? Like, like, I felt really like, yeah, really dumb, I guess, like to think like, I don't know, we were recycling it or we were, you know, doing something, frankly, that we should have, you know, something better that we should be doing with it. And it was like, I felt really duped. Like I was like, no, like none of that is actually happening. And this plastic is just being thrown away. Um, And I think, like I said, even in that Ted talk, like away is not, that's not a place. It's not a destination. It's not like a magical recycling plant, like away oftentimes means a landfill or it means the ocean. Um, And yeah. So when I learned that, I guess that, that was what I remember feeling like really just like dumb and like how did I not know this was going on like I felt really duped I know for me um I was like you know in school you taught you know recycle reuse reduce the 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 r's and all that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. I'm thinking all right so long as I throw this bottle um in the recycle bin I've done my job it's done Mm -hmm. you know from here it goes and they recycle it but what actually is recycling you know and then what what so when I saw this, I was like, oh, wow, this is uh, and it was one of those things where I was like, why isn't anybody talking about this? Why isn't why don't I see this on social media instead of, you know, twerkers, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, like, why? Why am I? It's, it's I think instantly I, I shared the video I was watching on Facebook and but, you know, nobody that's not something people want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. No, it's so true. And I think like, I think one of the other things that I 
sort of part of the other reason I wanted to get into, you know, science communication and using my platform to talk about the oceans is that oftentimes I think a lot of these issues, whether it's plastic in the ocean or overfishing, I think for a lot of people, the ocean is out of sight, out of mind. Of course, there are, you know, millions of people who do live on a coast and, you know, are fortunate enough to live on the ocean. Personally, like I don't even live on a coast. I, I don't have an ocean near me. And so I think if you don't, in the live near the ocean you don't have that regular like encounter or experience with it it's very much out of sight out of mind and it's very easy to not acknowledge you know those issues because they seem so far away and they seem like they don't necessarily affect you and oftentimes I think that's why we don't see enough people talking about these issues so let's talk about it um <laughs> what is um sustainable seafood so, I mean, it's a big question. <laughs> in, in, in your words, in your words. Yeah. So I guess like in, in the most simple sense, you know, sustainable seafood refers to sustainable seafood and sustainable fishing refers to, you know, harvesting fish from the ocean or from freshwater at a rate that allows, you know, that species to replenish. Um, for me, it also means using low impact gear types that don't have an adverse effect on the marine ecosystem or on other uh, other species so you know things like things that aren't dragging up the ocean floor destroying marine habitats um, gear types that aren't resulting in a lot of bycatch um, I think those are really critical things to be aware of and then for me sustainable seafood it's also important for me to really consider the social and economic sustainability of seafood and so I'm always very very conscious of, you know, where my seafood is coming from, how it's supporting coastal communities, um, and where, you know, where my dollars are actually going when I buy a seafood product. I think, um, for me, the social and economic sustainability is equally as important as that environmental sustainability. So you kind of um, stepped into something else I wanted to talk to you and talk about, especially with, you know, the content that you put out, um, so if you could just talk a little bit about, um, you don't have to go to deep if you don't want to, but just, uh, how to, you know, shop for that product, how to look for, um, that sustainable product. And, you know, that's gonna do more than just, uh, you know, you have to worry about where that food is coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know it's, it's definitely a big question. And I think it's one of the the main thing that main, main questions that drives what I do is trying to answer that question. You know, people are like, how the heck do I buy sustainable seafood? How do I find it in the grocery store? How do I know for sure that it's sustainable? Um, and so the number one way that I always say to people, and I recognize it's not accessible to everybody, but if it is accessible to you is to buy directly from fishermen. So, you know, trying to shorten that supply chain and getting as close to the harvester as possible is a really great way to, you know, make sure that nothing, you know, fishy, uh, pun intended, is going on along the supply chain. You know, things like oftentimes when you have these super long and convoluted supply chains, as we see in the seafood industry, where things are being, you know, exported to be processed and then imported back and then exported again and imported. Um, that's where things like, you know, mislabeling and fraud occur. It's where a lot of illegal activities can be hidden. And so if you buy directly from a fisherman, you're essentially eliminating the opportunity for those things to occur. Um, and oftentimes these guys who are these men and women, I should say, who are selling seafood direct, they, they take a really like 
really great pride in what they do um, and are often very eager to talk about the sustainability of their seafood that they catch. So if you, you know, maybe you're even apprehensive of buying directly from a fisherman, you can ask them, you know, how did you catch this? Where did you catch this? You know, what gear do you use? Like, how do you reduce bycatch? In my experience, fishermen are some of the most talkative people in the world and are usually very eager to share that. And so if you can buy directly from a fisherman, I highly recommend doing that. Um, you can also join things like community support fisheries, which are similar to community supported agriculture, and which basically it gives you an opportunity to buy directly from a fisherman without necessarily, you know, having to live on a coast or go down to the dock. I personally subscribe to a, to a CSF. Um, and it's very, it's very nice and easy for me to be able to buy directly from a fisherman. And it sort of takes the, the guesswork out of it, of buying sustainable seafood. Um, but with that being said, again, if that's not an accessible option, there are a lot of different ways that you can identify sustainable seafood, you know, in the grocery store. So looking for eco labels, and I know people are a little bit apprehensive of eco labels as well. Um, but the Marine Stewardship Council and the Aquaculture Stewardship Council eco labels, those are two of the most highly regarded eco labels in the seafood industry. I think you can feel very confident when you're buying seafood with those labels. They have some of the most rigorous sustainability standards in the world for sustainable seafood, both wild caught and farmed. Um, I will say, and I've said this before, I, I actually, you know, have worked with the Marine Stewardship Council and I have criticized them for, you know, being a little bit inaccessible to small scale fisheries and for not accounting for Socio, those socioeconomic factors that I was speaking about earlier in their eco label. Um, and so I'm very transparent about, you know, the fact that while the MSC has the, in my opinion, the highest standards for ecological sustainability, they don't always account for those socioeconomic factors. Um, and I'm very transparent about that with people. But I think that, you know, if you're just worried about environmental sustainability, you can feel very confident buying seafood with the MSC or the ASC logo. Um, and then finally, like if you're not sure if you see a seafood product that you want to buy and it doesn't have a logo and you're not you know, sure about where it came from or if it's sustainable, ask the people working at your fish counter. Um, oftentimes, if like if it is sustainable, like they should be able to tell you where it came from, like when it came in, where it was caught. Um, if they can't answer that, I would say maybe don't buy it. Um, but oftentimes, you know, if they're doing things correctly and sustainably um, and they have transparent and traceable supply chains, they should be able to answer those questions. No problem. Another beautiful answer. Um, I don't think I had to say that, but I just wanted to say it. <laughs> Thank um, you. So, um, you know, we've been talking back and forth uh, on Instagram and TikTok and Big topic was, of course, sea spiracy. Mm -hmm. The infamous sea spiracy, the Netflix <laughs> um, movie documentary. Um, one hundred percent true, right? Yeah, one hundred percent true. <laughs> <laughs> I even think calling it a documentary is generous. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, yeah. Um, so uh, you talk, you just talked about. Um, labels and fact checking and that was a uh, part in um seaspiracy but let me first of all let me just ask you what is your opinion about seaspiracy let's get that out there yeah so i mean i was not a fan um <laughs> i've made a lot of content in response to it that i think is you know made it pretty clear that i didn't i didn't agree with the film 
Um, and it, look, I will say, uh, frankly, when I heard about this movie that was coming out, I was excited. I was thinking, wow, a marine conservation documentary. It's going to talk about fishing. Like, frankly, there are not a lot of films out there um, about sustainable fishing, about seafood. I could probably like I think there's maybe a handful of them. And so I was optimistic at first. I thought this is really great. Like, I'm excited to see what it is. And then after watching it, I realized that it was, in fact, not a film that actually was aiming to shed a light on the issues in the fishing industry, but rather it was, you know, about pushing a very particular agenda um, and, you know, nitpicking very, very extreme examples from the industry to try to promote that cause. And it was just, it was disappointing for me. Like, I think disappointment is honestly what I feel. I'm obviously very annoyed and frustrated um, by it, but I think above everything, I'm disappointed because there was such an opportunity here to really do something good and actually talk about some of the issues in the seafood industry and how we can address them. And instead it was just, you know, I, I say this and I mean, I'll say it again. It was just vegan propaganda at the end of the day. Let me ask you, um, what does your perfect documentary look like? Hmm. That's a good question. Huh. I think, you know, I will say, I think Seaspiracy got correct. So the issues that they touched on that I thought were, you know, fairly represented were things like subsidies and slavery. I think that those I think those would definitely be in my ideal documentary. I think that they're extremely large and real issues that we have to tackle. Um, I think my ideal documentary though would also touch on a lot of those socioeconomic factors that I was speaking about earlier, things like the cultural value of seafood. Um, oftentimes I find that when people talk about sustainable food, whether it's seafood or just food systems broadly, like we, we, we dwindle food down to like a number. And like oftentimes when we talk about food, whether, you know, from a health standpoint, if we're talking about calories or from a sustainability standpoint, if we're talking about carbon footprint, like food is just dwindled down to nothing but a number. And I think it really does a disservice. Like food is not a number. It is not an energy source. It is not an environmental impact. Like, yes, it, 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 that those things are part of food, but more broadly, like food is culture. Food is connection. Like food has such a deep importance for individual people, for communities, for families. And it, it's very frustrating. I think when, when we talk about it, like in these documentaries, just to dwindle it down to a number and, and, you know, sort of just offhand say like, well, just don't eat X, Y, and Z or just eliminate X, Y, and Z as if it's as easy as that. But when those foods are so deeply ingrained in tradition and culture, like it's not, um, it's not, a, it's not a simple solution. Um, and so anyway, I, I know that kind of got off track, but I think like in my ideal documentary, I would love to see the, the cultural importance of food be acknowledged and, you know, its significance be addressed. I think also the, um, acknowledgments of small scale, small scale fisheries and small scale seafood producers. Um, oftentimes when people talk about seafood, you know, we talk about it as if all fisheries are this homogenous group and they're all the same and they all think the same and act the same. And it's completely, it's completely untrue. You know, fisheries are incredibly diverse, you know, whether it's small scale versus large scale, even within those, even within those scales, you know, small scale fisheries from fishery to fishery are, are incredibly diverse. And so I think to treat fisheries as the same 
um, is, is incredibly short-sighted. And I think a lot of the reasons why a lot of fisheries policy doesn't succeed because we do treat fisheries as a homogenous group. I mean, even the term, I always say this, like even the term seafood in itself is a little bit problematic. We don't say land food, like seafood is referring to an incredible diversity of, of animals and plants that come from the oceans and from freshwater and from lakes that are wild and farmed. Um, and so I think, yeah, seeing a documentary that acknowledges that diversity would be really impressive to me. <laughs> Um, great answer. Uh, <laughs> when I was, when I, when I listened to you, uh, to your answer, um, just describing the culture part of it. Did you watch, uh, High on a Hog? No, uh, I didn't. No, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Okay. Um, it was, it was a lot of culture. Uh, just talking about the background, of, you know, where, how family, I mean, how food brings family together and, you know, mm -hmm. just the roots of different foods. Um, that was pretty good. Um, so it's safe to say that uh, you're not pro not eating seafood. Um, we can't just cut it out of the diet like uh, mm -hmm. Seaspiracy was suggesting. Um, so you're, you're doing a lot of, uh, I guess that was, are you being sponsored by uh, with the, um, the can? What's the? The um, you're doing? Yeah, so I, I've done some brand collaborations. So yeah, I worked with Ocean Seafood, which is a, they're a Canadian seafood brand. They're an MSC certified tuna brand. And then I've also done some brand work with the MSC. So I've worked with a handful of like partners like that who are involved in the seafood industry, who are obviously, you know, sustainable companies that I stand by and more often than not eat their products anyway. Like Scout Canning is another one that I work with quite often. Um, yeah, I work with a lot of canned seafood brands. Actually, I'm such a I'm such a sucker for that, mostly because I'm not a great chef and canned seafood. When oh, it's will you stop? I gotta so cut easy. you off here. <laughs> I got to cut you off here. You got countless, but you know what? I, I want to cut you off because everything looks good that you cook on social media. But I can also say that if you look at social media, it looks like I love oysters. So. I'll just, I'll digress. I'll, <laughs> I apologize for interrupting. Wait, are you confessing that you don't like oysters? <laughs> I'm not saying I don't like oysters. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying that I don't eat a lot of them uh, as social media would portray. That's fair. Yes. Yeah, social media is not, not an accurate depiction. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh I wanted to ask you uh, about eating lower on the seafood chain. Like, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely one of the other big things I say for people who are looking to eat like seafood more sustainably is to eat lower on the seafood, lower on the seafood chain. So eating smaller fish like anchovies, sardines, mackerel. I know what sometimes when people hear those kinds of fish, they like turn up their nose. And honestly, I, I will completely admit I did too. Like my, Portuguese people eat a lot of anchovies and sardines. My mom used to eat them all the time growing up. And I used to think they were disgusting. I would never even try them. And now I probably eat like a tin of sardines or mackerel on toast. I probably eat that like at least twice a week. Because like I said, when it comes to cooking, sometimes I'm so lazy that that is just like the perfect lunch. Just open a can of sardines, put them on toast. Like it's so 
it's so healthy for you. It's so high protein. Like there's so many micronutrients in it. Like it feels, you feel guilty. Cause you're like, how can this be healthy? Like, it feels like fast food. Like I'm just throwing together something so quick, but it's really like such a diverse nutrient profile. Um, it's so impressive. Like just, I don't know how healthy seafood is for you. And so eating lower on the, on the food chain, is definitely something I recommend, like things like, you know, tuna, those larger species. Like I obviously do eat tuna, definitely not very often. Um, but those sort of larger species are, you know, there's definitely still ways that they could be sustainable, but I'd say that, you know, if you are trying to be conscious of your own overall footprint, I wouldn't necessarily recommend eating a tuna steak every single day of the week. Um, I would try to, you know, diversify your seafood diet, I think is the, the biggest piece of advice I can say, you know, that's, I think one of the fundamental, um, fundamental issues that drives overfishing is this sort of, uh, demand for like the, the main seafood species, salmon, tuna, shrimp, the things that people are familiar with, like every restaurant wants to have salmon on their menu. Um, and if we could just diversify that and put like, I tell people like weird fish, eat weird fish, sardines, anchovies, mackerel, like oysters, like scallops, those bivalves, like kelp, seaweed, like diversify your seafood diet. Don't just always, you know, gravitate towards salmon and tuna. Try some of these, you know, lower, lower on the food chain species and other seafood products. Um, something that I wanted to ask you, and it's probably kind of out of place, but I, um, bycatch, can you say what bycatch is? Yeah, of, of course. I'm actually glad that you asked this. I was just addressing this on, on TikTok this week um, because I think this is one of the, the things that is really misunderstood in fisheries. And honestly, before I got into fisheries, I wouldn't have known this either. And so it's completely fair that people are confused by this. But a lot of people think that bycatch basically refers to fish that's, you know, accidentally caught. So things like, let's say sea turtles, for example, this is the example people love to use. Sea turtles are, are caught and then they are killed and discarded and thrown overboard. Um, that's not necessarily the definition of bycatch. So bycatch is essentially referring to anything that's caught that's not the target species. So if I'm, you know, fishing for let's say salmon, for example, I'm fishing for coho salmon and I accidentally catch, you know, halibut. That halibut is bycatch. It doesn't automatically mean though that it's discarded or wasted. And a lot of people equate bycatch with being waste, like food waste. Um, and it's not more often than not. I mean, that's still a fish that you can still sell, that you can still take to market and make money off of. Most fishermen are not you know, just discarding fish when they could still take it to market and, you know, make money off of it. At the end of the day, this is their, this is their job. Um, and so the, when, when fish is caught, that's not the target species, it's considered bycatch, but most of the time it still ends up going to market. It's still sold somewhere and eaten by someone. What is like the actual term for seafood or fish that's caught and then discarded, whether it's thrown overboard or it just doesn't make it to market, that's referred to as discards. Um, so a little bit different than bycatch. And those two terms often get used interchangeably because, you know, they say that um, about 40% of global fishing catch is bycatch, um, which is true. But again, still most of the time ends up at market, eaten, consumed by someone nonetheless. Uh, but people like to say that 40% of fishing catch is discarded, which is completely untrue. Um, the number for discards is closer to just under 10%, which I completely acknowledge is still way too much, especially when we look, you know, at a world that's dealing with a lot of 
food insecurity, uh, food insecurity issues, poverty and malnutrition for almost 10% of global fishing catch to be discarded is insane. Um, I definitely acknowledge that, but it is not, um, you know, 40% as often gets misreported because of the confusion between bycatch and discards. So you read that right out of the dictionary, right? <laughs> I feel like I have it just rehearsed from, from saying it so many, so many times because it is such a confusing, a confusing topic. And it, like I said, it gets misreported so often. So I feel like I just have it on autopilot now. Here's, here's how you explain it. <laughs> so um, before we get into TikTok and Instagram content, um, is there anything else that could be misconstrued or people get mixed up uh, or is a, uh, you know? Um, I mean, in terms of like, I think there's a lot of confusion in the seafood industry. I think Seaspiracy obviously, you know, contributed to a lot more of that with, yeah, like I said, you know, confusing things like bycatch and discards and whether or not sustainable seafood even exists. Um, I mean, I have so much content that I could just ream off here about all the different misconceptions about, about seafood, but Understood. I'll just say, yeah, to, I mean, to keep it short, I guess I'll just say, you know, like sustainable fishing exists, sustainable seafood is real and, you know, not eating seafood is, that's not the only way to protect the oceans. If that's what you choose to do, then, you know, that's perfectly fine. I'm not here to you know, tell anybody how to eat. I think food's a deeply personal choice. Um, and so you do you. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want people to feel like if they want to be, you know, a good environmentalist or if they want to, you know, be a good ocean conservationist that they can't eat seafood. It's just, it's simply not true. There are ways to eat seafood sustainably and seafood is, you know, at the end of the day, seafood consumption is not going away. Um, and, you know, coastal communities are always going to need to a, eat seafood and B, sell seafood in order to thrive and survive, you know, both economically and socially and culturally. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you if you want to eat seafood, like you can do it sustainably and you don't have to feel bad about it. I think that's the biggest misconception that I would just want to address. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. OK, so uh, now we're going to roll into your TikTok and Instagram mm -hmm. stardom. Uh, <laughs> So uh, let's just talk about that. Like how, I guess, how do you come up with the content um, or how do you know what, do you know, like what's going to be a good video or a good post or anything like that? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I will say that moving away from travel has actually been a bit more difficult content wise. Um, because before when my content was, you know, travel focused, it was very easy. Like, obviously it's like, well, I'm going to this destination. I'm going to write about, you know, and then you can brainstorm topically based on where you are. Um, but trying to brainstorm seafood and food related content and sustainability content is a little bit more difficult. Um, I'll say like, obviously when I started, I had a bunch of ideas that I could kind of run through, but as I've gone through, um, I think a lot of the ways that I've come up with content ideas, I will say questions are a big one. Um, so I love that. Like when people leave comments or ask questions, um, that makes my job a million times easier to, cause then I know exactly what type of content people want. Um, and I can address that, um, as annoying as Seaspiracy was, it gave me an opportunity to create a lot of content, um, addressing a lot of these things. Um, and also frankly, you know, gave me a lot of 
followers and attention from people who I think were searching for an alternative solution to not eating seafood. Um, but yeah, I guess like I, I try to plan my contents like on a like week by week basis. I don't, I know some people do like monthly content plans and I'm just like not organized for such a thing. Um, and so I try to do it that way. Um, I look at like TikTok is a, it's a beast. I, I avoided TikTok for so long. And even now I'm like, it's not my strong suit. I, I keep saying that when I finally like get to the point where I can hire someone, the first person I'm going to hire is somebody to like help with TikTok curation and editing because video is just not my strong suit. Like I'm a writer. I can do that, but video is not it. But I always like go to TikTok and look at like trending videos and trending sounds. And I try to like apply my niche of fisheries and seafood to a lot of those like trending things, um, which I find like gets them seen by a wider audience. It makes them more fun and easy to understand. Um, But yeah, a lot of the times I would say like, I just kind of try to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on in the like seafood fishery science world, like research wise and academically. And then I try to, you know, look keep an eye out for new papers or new headlines and press releases. And then I try to, you know, create content from those new topics that I know people are going to be talking about like that, you know, a paper recently came out about bottom trawling, releasing as many emissions as the aviation industry, um, which is not true. Um, And so I'm working on a bunch of content about that and how to like, you know, disseminate that. Um, So yeah, I apologize. That was kind of like a tangent, but it's, I kind of just see what's going on and try to try to be, reactive though I also try to like have sort of like a content bank or ideas in the back of my mind brainstormed that I can like go back to if it is you know like a slow news week or nothing is happening in fisheries so that all of my content isn't sort of like reacting to something but I would say when it comes to the seafood fisheries content I would say most of it is a lot of like reactive stuff based on what's going on and what people are talking about. No, that totally makes sense. Um, so you talk, you, you spoke a little bit about uh, um, uh, finding your audience. Mm-hmm. Is there an audience for us? I feel like we're in the same, you know, lane kind of. Is there mm-hmm. an audience for us? Definitely. I 100%. Honestly, like this was something when I transitioned and like, I haven't transitioned away from travel. It's still part of what I do, but it's definitely not as much of the focus as it once was. And when I made that leap to transition to the seafood space, like I, I was asking myself the same thing. Like, is there an audience? Like, do people even want this? Like I actually rebranded, like I wasn't even seaside with Emily. I had a whole different brand. And I basically told myself, you know, I'm going to go in, I'm going to change. I'm going to rebrand. I'm going to focus on seafood. And I'm going to give it a year and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then I'm, you know, done. I'm going to go find a quote unquote real job. And the only reason I'm still doing what I'm doing today is because there is an audience for this. There is an incredible audience for this. There's a huge demand for this type of content. There's a huge appetite for this type of content. And I think a lot of it stems from a lot of the things that I've talked about, like so much confusion and misinformation about the seafood industry. I think Also, now people are more aware of their own impact, um, especially about their food choices. I think also the pandemic 
definitely helped my brand a lot in terms of like people were cooking seafood at home more. Um, they wanted to know, you know, how to, I think that's a lot of the reasons why people are intimidated by seafood, you know, like they don't want to spend money on, you know, a, a big piece of tuna, take it home and mess it up. Um, and so people are often intimidated and don't cook it at home. So I think there's like a lot, there's different, there's, there's definitely an audience. So yes, that's the short answer. And I think there's also like different types of audiences. Like you have that culinary audience who is looking for tips on how to cook seafood. And then you have the, you know, sustainability audience, people who are suddenly becoming more aware of their own environmental impact and the impact of their food choices and are looking to make, you know, more sustainable food choices. And so they want to understand, you know, what, what are the implications of cutting meat out of my diet or switching meat with seafood or what is the most sustainable seafood? Um, I think, yeah. So I think there's definitely an audience and I think specifically also for what you do, like there's definitely more of an audience for that too, because of COVID. I, like I spoke about buying directly from a fisherman or buying direct as, as often as you can. That was like what a lot of my master's thesis work was looking at. And through the pandemic, like more and more people, what we saw, I did a lot of research on this was we saw a lot of people looking for alternative ways to get seafood. You know, we saw export markets dry up and grocery shelves, you know, empty out of seafood and people were suddenly looking for how, like, where else can I get seafood? And I remember that's actually how you and I even got introduced because you were saying like the more and more people were looking for alternative delivery methods. And so there's definitely an audience for this a hundred percent. All right. So I, I still have hope. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep pushing on and doing a good, good work here but also you know something you said uh let's see what did you call it you called it I think it was like part of the science communication and but it was something else but then I was like all right I, I got a title for what I do but uh I yeah. can't remember what it was called but um I'm gonna find it and go back but uh <laughs> Is there anything else that we didn't cover? Anything else you want to leave the listeners with? Let's tell them where we can, they can find you. Um, all that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, well, thank you firstly for having me. I'm so excited. Like this has My pleasure. been, I think a long, a long time coming. I've been dying to, to chat with you some more. So I really appreciate the opportunity and, um, I love the work that you're doing and I'm always, I think, um, well, I said there's definitely an audience for this type of content. I think uh, there's not a lot of people creating this type of content. Um, and I feel like maybe you resonate with that. There's not a lot of people who are creating seafood content on social media. And so I always love connecting with other people who are doing this kind of work. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I would definitely want to leave people, you know, just to say that, you know, sustainable seafood exists. Don't be intimidated by it. Um, there's people like me and you who are trying to make it more accessible and approachable um, and try to disseminate a lot of this information. Um, and like I said, that's mostly what I do on my platform. I have a ton of resources. I have, you know, my website that has a lot of, you know, blog posts and full length articles that really go into depth about a lot of these issues. I have my Instagram, which I consider is sort of like my middle ground. And then my TikTok, which is, you know, the quick and dirty, get the information in, in 30 seconds um, with some crazy sounds and, and dancing in it. Um, but yeah, I've got a ton of resources. I have like a free uh, sustainable seafood guide also that sort of summarizes a lot of what we've been talking about, about how to buy seafood. Um, and you can get that at my website, seasidewithemily.com. And that's what my handle is on social media. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, come hang out. Uh, we love talking about seafood. So, and I always want to talk to more people. And like I said, questions help me plan my content calendar. So I'm always grateful for questions. <laughs> I do have one last, um, one last question or comment. Mm -hmm. I, I like the way you handle um, the people who get in the comments and, you know, try, basically try to throw dirt all over your name. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? <laughs> now, I only see what, what happens in the comments, but do you get, like, DM, nasty DMs and stuff, too? Honestly, like, after Seaspiracy, it, yes, it, it popped off to a level that I never could have imagined, and I definitely was not prepared for. Like, before Seaspiracy, I did not... Like I would maybe get the odd comment here and there, but nothing that I wasn't already used to. I mean, like at that point I'd been working online for almost six years. Like you get the, the occasional snarky comment and it was always whatever, but after Seaspiracy things got really crazy. Um, and yeah, a lot of the comments are savage. I will say like TikTok comments are like insane like in terms of like all the social media platforms that I'm on the comments on TikTok are some of the most ruthless and savage comments <laughs> that I get like people on TikTok just they they don't hold back um so yeah those are quite interesting I will say like for the most part the like I said I've been working online for six years now those comments usually don't bother me the seaspiracy thing, I will say like the one thing that really irritated me was a lot of the comments that I got were sort of like undermining my credentials mm -hmm. or, you know, saying that I didn't have a right to speak on this topic. And I think, you know, as somebody who has gone and, you know, completed two post-secondary degrees, I think also being a woman in, in seafood and fisheries, you know, has a, a sort of, you know, other undertone to it. And so that was the one part that was a bit frustrating after Seaspiracy was to have people try to undermine me as a scientist. Um, when people want to debate the science or they want to debate, you know, sustainability or food and they want to have like a conversation, like I'm all game. I like, we can do that and we can hash it out, but I find like, and then when people, you know, personal attacks on like my looks or whatever, like you're annoying, you talk too fast. Like those are things that I can easily like whatever, like ignore. But I think it's very frustrating when people undermine your credentials and your, you know, things that you have worked really hard to obtain and try to say that you don't have a right to speak in certain spaces. And I think that was the, the part of the backlash from Seaspiracy that I was not prepared for and that definitely got under my skin a little bit. I think now I've, you know, I can kind of try to try to shrug it off and know that, you know, I, I have a right to be here, but it is definitely a bit difficult um, to, to see those kinds of comments sometimes. Well, I want to let you know to keep on keeping on um, <laughs> your content, your personality, everything is welcomed in this uh, lane that we are in. Um, I want to keep telling you to, to keep going, like, cause you're doing great things. You're opening new eyes and that's what it's all about at the end of the day is, uh, you know, spreading a positive word, a true word and not a biased word. Um, and you got the facts to back it up. So mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, that means a lot. Like I said, we're a small community, so we've got to, we've got to stick together. So it means a lot. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Just, yeah, no doubt. I, I totally understand. Um, <laughs> thank you for coming on the Oyster Ninja podcast. 
Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited that we finally, finally got to do this. This was so awesome. I'm, I know we're gonna cross paths one day in person at an oyster fest somewhere, and I can't wait. It's gonna be a freaking blast. No doubt, no, and I'll eat an oyster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.